0: Hey, folks, you're listening to The Progress Report on the Harbinger Media Network. And just a quick message before we get into the show. We're one of several very good and very excellent left-wing podcasts on Harbinger. And a new episode on the network that I want to recommend is the latest from the fine folks at the Alberta Advantage. And a crucial bit of uh, myth-puncturing that they're doing on the National Energy Program. Uh, You may have heard that the National Energy Program may have decimated Alberta, Uh, and it definitely has become central to a bunch of bullshit political mythology here, but turns out that's just a crock of shit. And that's the kind of content you'll get at Harbinger. We're challenging corporate and liberal media dominance with a political point of view that you will not find anywhere else. Get access to exclusive shows and other supporter-only content at harbingermedianetwork.com. Now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here in amiskwichi skigan otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory. And we have a very special episode today. Uh, joining us are two members of uh, the Community Safety and Wellbeing Task Force which, uh, just submitted their report to the uh, Edmonton City Council about what exactly is to be done about policing in Alberta, or sorry, in Edmonton. And the two folks joining us today are Irfan, Chowdhury, and Robert Hool. Uh, not only was Irfan on this task force, but ERFan is a director with the Office of Human Rights, Diversity and Equity at McEwen University, as well as a frequent media commentator on police crime issues as well as hate groups. And Robert Hool, who's been on the pod before, you should really go listen to that episode. It's very good. He's a reader, a writer, a researcher, historian. I assume you're also a reader as well, Rob. <laughs> and, uh, I too, sometimes on uh, the time, now. Yeah. So, from time to time, um, uh, as well as a frequent commentator on police issues. Uh, he's from Swan River First Nation in Treaty 8, has worked in Treaty 6 for a number of years and is married into Treaty 7. So really hitting the trifecta of, of Alberta treaties. Irfan and Rob, uh, welcome to the pod.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: So yeah, we're fresh off the heels of the Edmonton City Council accepting you know, the task force's report. Uh, I think it's probably worth just giving a bit of context for what this task force was and why it was created. But it, it, this was the group that was created by Edmonton City Council as a response to the like mass protests and the calls for defunding the police. And I think 140 some people who came to speak at council kind of back last summer. Uh, you know, this is also a response to you know more than thirteen thousand people emailing their counselors, demanding that the Edmonton police be defunded and that that money be spent on community services and in the community. Uh, this this was their attempt to kind of involve the community, give some recommendations of what, what should be done, and this report has now been completed, submitted submitted to council. It's been covered in the media quite extensively, and just yesterday on Tuesday, um, you know, the task force presented their findings and their recommendations. And uh, it's a really good report. You should read it. Uh, they outline 14 areas where the police in the city can start addressing and fixing systemic racism and inequality right now. And I, I just want to take before I get uh, Rob and 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 Irfan to start talking about the report. There is a quote that I think is worth uh, highlighting just off the top from the from the foreword, which is that quote: "As a city, we are flying blind when it comes to community safety, especially on race-related data about interactions the police." peace and bylaw officers have with the public. This negligence must be addressed. And uh, so, um, you know, both of you essentially took most of the day off yesterday to present this report to council. Uh, I think we can, we can start off with just your general impressions of kind of city council's reaction to the report, as well as the kind of action they took.
2: Yeah, I can, I can start. Um, I think, I think the, conversation at council uh unfolded the way that i kind of anticipated um i was trying to give some sense to the other task force members that it wasn't going to be um by by all counselors wasn't going to be received as warmly as you one would hope so in the end i think i think there were some very tough conversations i think there's some very tough questions i think there was some great back and forth between uh, task force members and the councillors. And I think ultimately um, with council embracing the recommendations, um, a step forward in the right direction, I think um, a little disappointed in, in the the 14th recommendation that ultimately was not fully embraced. But uh, I'm sure we'll get to that later on in the podcast.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, based on, you know, my my kind of reflection, I think, you know, I agree with Rob, right? I think it was it was what it was, what we expected it to be. I think what was interesting for me um, is, you know, first, I just want to give a huge shout out to the chair of our task force, because I, I thought she did a phenomenal job overall trying to navigate some of the questions, which, you know, when you look into some of the questions being posed by some of the counselors, I think the intention underlying intention, sometimes looking to see where or how this report might be discredited for, for various reasons, uh, it kind of showed the level of preparation, I think, us as a task force had. And we're able to forecast, I think, a number of these considerations, uh, even, you know, during some of our task force meetings. And I think that speaks to, you know, someone like Rob, for example, uh, or someone like myself who who have an understanding of the systems to make sure that we we aren't going to kind of, you know, be systematically and systemically, you know, silenced. And so I think when I observed some of the questions that came up, you know, some more subtle than others, if if we kind of put it, you know, uh, lightly, uh, but I think we were able to navigate some of those 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 questions. And, you know, again, 13 out of 14, 90-day uh, you know, report back, it does give tangible outcomes. But, you know, for me, and I think, you know, I don't want to put Rob, uh, words in Rob's mouth, but I think for, for me, it's the, after the 90 days is what's going to be really integral in terms of what any follow-up looks like.
2: Totally, to... totally agree that um, it's, it's nice to have that 90-day kind of sprint start. But I think it's important that, once we And I know that one of the councillors didn't appreciate it, but we made reference to the upcoming election in the report. Um, but again, that, that's where kind of the proof will be and the commitment is when new councillors or incumbents enter the election cycle, either get elected or, or re-elected, and whether or not they're still fully committed to the recommendations or whether or not we can actually start to see some systemic change. And, and like Irfan, shout out to Dr. Trimby. She emailed me last night. Um, and I think we were, we were happy with, with the, the way the discussion went and, uh, the way that she was able to, to handle some of the counselors. So, uh, hats off to her as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: I spent a good chunk of yesterday watching, uh, you know, council proceedings, which is not something I make a habit of, but I think, you know, when we start talking about policing, when we start talking about. This report and you know the hundreds of millions of dollars they spend on it. I, I sit up and I take take the time out of my day to pay attention, and here here are my notes. So like I, I definitely noticed that like Counselor Sarah Hamilton, Mike Nickel, Tim Cartmel, John Zadick definitely seemed to be the most hostile to the report's kind of findings and recommendations. Uh, you know Sarah Hamilton seemed to be concerned that not only did you did you not speak to businesses, but that there was like the final paragraph in the final page, like dare to consider the political realities in which this report is received. Like there is an election, a municipal election, literally like six months away. The next council that's elected, like your biggest recommendation is to, is to freeze funding and, and divert that funding into community sports. Like that's a budget decision. That budget process is going to happen like pretty much a month after everyone gets elected. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was funny. Um, you know, John concerned very concerned that, that the task force didn't speak with the police union president, um, which I, I, I sounded from Annette Trimby's thing is that like, uh, yeah, we tried. They never got back to us. I don't know. Um, you know, Mike Nickel relaying unconfirmed stories of lawlessness in downtown Edmonton, which essentially the police are kind of like reifying right now. They're just right before this uh this podcast is being recorded. The Edmonton police are putting out press releases and doing press conferences about uh, essentially just that, like talking about uh, they're, they're kind of doing a uh, selective stat pulling on, on crime in certain areas. Um, you know, Mike Nichol kept talking about the mechanics of fixing poverty and racism as if there was some like, Lever you could pull to fix it, um, which is a lever. I mean, there is, but he's simply not interested in pulling it. And then finally, I think it's the biggest note of the day is that Don Iveson is like, well, uh, you know, a lot of these are future council decisions, and I am out of here. So we can't tie the hands of future councils, I think was a, a phrase I heard him say a few times. So.
1: Yeah, I mean for for me, you know, I'm 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 you know, really cognizant of you know, again, all of us are very cognizant of, you know, this being a municipal year. And I was kind of taken aback, I think, a little bit around, you know, the the questioning, you know, how why would you include reference in a very general sense, you know what I mean, in the report uh, around, you know, how there needs to be continuity with this. Like, you know, it was like almost like, how, how dare you consider the political climate in the context of the report you've been assigned to write on behalf of city council. And I thought I thought that was a bit of a, you know, again, politics at play, of course, because it is a municipal year, right, election year. We, we're not naive to that. But I think that to me was really interesting to kind of just see where people were definitely kind of highlighting, you know, where they might be standing on some of these issues as they get prepared to to campaign. Right. Uh, it's no surprise. You know, Mike Nickel is taking the approach he is taking vying for the, the top spot on city council. And I don't know if you caught, you know, the way he framed this decision on Twitter very, very misleading in terms of framing it in one way that wasn't framed at all in the in the in the overall dialogue and discussion that we spent, you know, almost the full day, you know, convening around. But I think again, you know, as a task force, this is these are things we started talking about the municipal election, like probably our first or second meeting, and said, hey, you know, hey team, uh, we need to be sure we're we're mindful of this because this will likely impact where and how far our recommendations go. And, you know, again, not to single out any specific task members, I think everyone brought really, really unique traits to the table that provided us really good lenses to talk about these things. But again, I just want to go back when we have a chair who's had previous experience in, you know, uh, you know, deputy minister uh, or assistant deputy minister positions uh, in the provincial government, like, you know, they know how to navigate that system. And so I think having, You know, that voice for us to help kind of supplement the things that we were saying is what was really important for us as a task force, because we've seen way too many times. And I know I can speak for myself here, you know, previously working even with the city of Edmonton, where you get reports or you produce reports uh, that are community informed and they sometimes just get uh, shelved because let's say your contract you know, runs out because it was, you know, a contract position and no funding was available to continue that, continue that position. But as a result, sometimes that work also falls away because the position isn't there. And so I think that was something we were really mindful of to ensure that regardless of who's in, in council and who's the mayor and who's the councillors, there needs to be active work on this um, for the long the long haul.
0: Yeah. And as I'm sure Rob is fully aware, like the Canadian state at all levels is very fond of producing reports that catalog the evils of the state, the bad things the state is doing. And then those reports sit on a shelf somewhere and get dusty, right?
2: Yeah. And they're also not, there's also a push, like some of the counselors that that want evidence, you want evidence, you want metrics, you want mechanics. And even when you still present those mechanisms and mechanics and metrics and 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 evidence they still do not accept it and they still want you to go further and further and further and and for for me throughout the, the task force work it I always knew that there was going to be this conversation around metrics and measurements and whatever else so that's why in repeated meetings and repeated conversations even with our EPS members that were on the task force I h- liked to highlight that, all of the metrics that the Edmonton Police Service is tracking, they are failing to meet. So either they are failing to meet their metrics and getting money anyways, or the metrics don't really matter. It can't be both ways. So um, so that's where we see a lot of the councillors, especially in this political environment, starting to play on the fence a little bit, trying to lean to their their demographics and their base, and and that really again, alienates other people that may or may not have voted for them, um, that are on the fence and not decided. And then it, it just paints people in a very bad picture. And, and I saw a lot of Twitter conversation about the back and forth that myself and, and Councillor Nickel had. But again, that's because I know um, from having worked for the city and been at council a number of times, what aspect of political theater is going to be played out and how to challenge that political theater with with purposeful and, direct responses to questions that are, and comments that are fanciful and only meant to sow division and, and paint bad pictures of people. So um, that's why I was more than happy to step in at, at points and happy to, to help uh, Dr. Trimby out when, when it was her first time presenting to council. So again, being her first time not having that experience, I think it, it, it was great that, Myself and people like her fan and other members were there to, to lean on and to start to push back on some of this stuff because um, this report wasn't wasn't manufactured from nothing. Again, it it's, it was requested by council <laughs> for us to do a job, and then much like the Indigenous naming stuff I was involved with earlier last year, you do your job and then you present the result, and still the people that asked you to do your job aren't happy with the outcomes and that again is just uh, a failure i think in 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 respects of uh, people knowing what they want or not being transparent in what they are actually seeking from uh, an outcome
1: you know if I, if I can just jump on real quick um with that one piece i just you know the way rob handled that you know when when the counselor was trying to goad him into you know, are you suggesting so and so is is racist? And I thought it was it was it was masterfully handled by Rob, not not trying to not being goaded into a response. I think the councillor was trying to trying to receive. But I think the biggest head scratcher for me uh, in in uh, not that specific exchange, but still the exchange with with uh, that particular councillor was every time asking for for the mechanics of his example around. Well, what do you what do you suggest we do around the removal of homeless uh, camps where you know constituents are concerned about them being there. And i that's where I observed probably the biggest disconnect between what the community task force uh, had kind of worked with and likely the disconnect that sometimes is at the powers uh, at B.E.D. At council is, you know, we're not asking for for non-enforcement in some aspects of things, right? But what we're asking for is compassion. We're asking for respect and dignity. And when that was framed like three separate times until Vanessa, you know, had to step up and, you know, share, share her own experience of homelessness until the council, I think, finally, hopefully understood what was trying to be said is we're not asking you to not do a job. We're asking you to do it in compassion and respect because we shouldn't have to, hope and pray that depending on the officer that shows up, they're going to deal with the situation in a respectful way. And then if another one shows up, you get someone who's, you know, kicking down the encampment, you know, throwing things away without, you know, proper access to things. And I think other ways that people have experienced sharing, you know, a lack of respect and dignity on the behalf of not only just the police service, but even bylaw and peace officers i mean that's another area i think we can dive into a bit more because there isn't as strong oversight and regulation as there likely needs to be and i think that's where i observed that biggest disconnect right when the counselor just kept pushing on well give me the give me the operations the operations operations and you know you had three separate committee members say well it's about compassion and dignity treating people with respect and that didn't click in initially and that to me was just a, a really interesting observance that i that was a good reminder of why this work is so important.
0: Yeah, Mike Nichol asking Rob if uh, transit fares were racist was uh, definitely a, a high point of uh, in discourse and uh, of that meeting. But l- let's let's get into the report because again, it, it's it is extremely level headed, extremely reasonable. The the findings and the recommendations of this report. I mean, as someone who uh, you know has had police abolitionists on this pod multiple times, I look at this report and I say, yes, do all this stuff yesterday. This is motherhood and apple pie should have been done twenty years ago. Uh, you know, as we move towards and creating new services to provide public safety. But but like, here's a summary from the forward of of the kind of broad, I'm not going to go through every single f- of the 14 recommendations, but this is like what they are in essence. You know, you're calling for independent, independent, integrated call evaluation and dispatch center that sends, you know, the right people to the right calls or the right, specifically the right service providers. Uh, training for police, peace and bylaw officers that, you know, will in talk about inclusivity and anti-racism uh big changes to the edmonton police commission uh, a new civilian oversight body for peace and bylaw officers uh the profess- the professionalization of policing so creating a new regulatory college like nurses and teachers have uh changes various changes to uh city bylaws and policies to stop the criminalization of poverty The development of emergency shelter standards that set expectations for low-barrier shelter spaces and allow pets, partners, and property. And finally, the kind of big daddy, a freeze on funding for the Edmonton Police Services uh, with those increases that would have gone to EPS, which are estimated to be around $260 million over the next five years, instead refunded back into the community to support 24-7 expansion of key social services and other community safety Ecosystem needs. Rob, which one of these recommendations of of the like fourteen recommendations? Which one do you kind of want to just take a minute to talk about?
2: Well, I think um, they're all fantastic. I I I think they're all they're all as you said they're all very reasonable. I think that there needs to be a lot of consideration on them. I like the, I stand behind some of the, the funding, Uh, the funding one for me um, was, was kind of a linchpin. I throughout our conversations at the task force, pushed for a stronger approach to funding and did propose something like um, a 30% hit to the current budget. Not, not just an ongoing uh, hit, but an actual hit because again, I reflect that, um, throughout the pandemic, throughout all these other things, um, the police are the only institution and service and organization that has not had any reductions whatsoever. So for me, that, uh, that was one that I that I really wanted to focus on. And um, another one that really drives home that people didn't read the report um, is the, the changes that need to happen to the Edmonton Police Commission. And I think... Um, you heard it at council about, well, can't the commission look after some of these bylaw officers and things like that? Um, those kinds of comments reflect to me that no one, some of those councillors and some and people in the community as well, probably didn't read the full report and didn't read the in-depth conversations and discussion points within it because we talk about how the commission right now isn't working as it should and that it's missing a lot of uh, the people on there might be fantastic. They might be professionals. It might be um, the right people for the job. But the the powers that is being exerted by the commission is missing the mark, and that um, they're not exerting as much effort and force as they they probably could, and that um, they're they're not reading the report either because there was a comment from. I think it was the chair that said they're already doing a lot of things in this report. And that's why I like to emphasize the point of counsel that nothing in this report is being done right now. There are changes enough in the recommendations um, that mandate more effort and more more initiative. And um, sure, you might be co-locating call services, but we want an independent call center, not directed by police, because the way the system is now allows police to determine what type of work they do. They're, they're determining their own workload. Um, and when you do that, and then especially when you have no money uh, to worry about, no funding to worry about, then basically there is a comment around. If you do that, then they'll become just police will become corrupt or something for that effect. And I'm not saying that that's the current system that's in place right now, but it sounds very much like the system that's in action right now. So um, so I, I know you wanted one, but I touched on a couple of them and I hope it didn't steal any of her fans' choices.
1: No, no, no. Lots, lots of choose from for sure. I'm assuming do you want me to answer the same question, Duncan, or?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which, which recommendation or set of recommendations do you think, you know, is worth taking a bit of time to talk about?
1: You know, for me, I think it's one that likely didn't get as much, uh, as much airtime. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what Rob had mentioned um and i want to be respectful of the other task force members as well so i'm not going to identify anyone it's, it's, their, it's their stories to tell when they have the chance to say them What was really interesting, though, at one of the meetings when we had the police commission actually present some of the things we had requested was how much it opened the eyes for some who might not even have even had the police commission on their radar initially in terms of how much that current system might need uh, a reassessment, I guess you could say. And it was actually one particular task member who I think their jaw dropped uh, after, you know, getting this presentation because they likely had felt that the commission was exercising as much as their, you know, autonomy uh, that they're able to do prior to this. So wasn't even having them on, on their radar, but after the presentation was like, you know, WTF, like we need to focus on here as well because there are, are gaps. Right. And I think, you know, again, Rob and I, because we're we're a little bit more experienced in, in the municipal realm uh, kind of, you know, have had this as a glaring aspect, you know, for a number of of months, I would say. But we also want to be mindful, right? We want to be respectful of the space. But when you had other task force members now bringing up, you know, challenges around the commission, to me, that was such a such a unique uh, opportunity to just observe growth of some of the task force members and, and the aha moments that they were having around, you know, some of those basic assumptions aren't being met. And, you know, I won't hammer on this one too much and I will actually answer your question. I apologize. Uh, but I think I was taken aback even when last week when the the chair of the commission... You know, in an interview on Global News, essentially said, Yeah, we're doing all of this, as Robert alluded to, and then almost said that the task force, uh, you know, is endorsing what they're doing already. <laughs> that to me misses the point because if you were to, you know, if you were to, if you were there during the meeting, to be quite honest, you would get a sense that there was definitely no, no form of endorsement. And I think our, 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 our suggestions amplify that. And I think when city council, you know, when we wanted to put things in the scope, of, of you know what council can have control over. I think that's where you see thirteen or fourteen recommendations passed. Because very early on, had we been a little bit more on the green side of things, I'm fairly certain that some of the recommendations would have been you know postponed around. Well, this seems like a provincial thing or a federal thing, but because we were so focused on the the, the control. Uh, of council in some of these aspects, that's where I think we're able to get a lot of success. For me, though, I think the biggest one I would love us to start to look at is uh, 11.4, creating a publicly accessible dashboard that reports progress on implementing our task force recommendations. Uh, It's not unique. The uh, City of Toronto and the Toronto Police Service actually has something very, very similar. Uh, Shortly after their hearings, they established this um, uh, interactive dashboard that allows anyone to access you know here's the i think they had like 80 plus you know recommendations here's where they're at in terms of implementation i think having something like that will keep council accountable but also needing to make sure it's a little bit separate from you know some of the inputs at the powers that be uh, because I do agree with Rob in terms of how deeply was this report read when some of the suggestions come back to, well, why can't the commission do X, Y, and Z when our task force is actually saying, well, currently the commission is likely not set up to do X, Y, and Z because they're not doing ABC that great right now either. And so I think that's where I'm hopeful that there's through this, you know, 90 day reporting period. um, And I, I, again, I want to make sure we give the proper acknowledgement to people around the table. I was, I was fairly, I was fairly impressed with the level of support and also tr- um, uh level of support that was provided to us by the city of Edmonton and also the amount of like um, you know, distance they gave us like they were there to support i did not get the sense that they were there to guide because i've been on similar city kind of you know things where you you see that the city is coming up with already a predetermined path and they just want this group to be able to rubber stamp it i didn't get that sense from this variation i felt it was what information do you need to help us help you make the recommendations that we brought forward and so i think that's where again having a dashboard that provides accountability and transparency is a key piece otherwise you are going to have communities continue to feel like this was just another exercise in, you know, as Rob puts it, political theater.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. I, I think there's a, a recommendation that I definitely want to touch on and, and that I was grateful that made its way into the report. And that is, uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but the language is, identify how collective agreements are contributing to systemic bias and work to address these challenges. And so, you know, collective bargaining and collective agreements—it's not the like sexy part of, you know, anti-racism or like defunding the police or police abolition work. But it's worth taking a minute to just think about uh, the collective agreements that that cops, uh, that the Edmonton police and the police everywhere, sign with municipalities. And one, how much money cops make. Like, you could pull up the collective agreement with the cops that the the city of Edmonton and the cops have right now, and you can go see the salary range. And so, a first year constable coming out uh, of what, around 700, 750 hours worth of training, uh, makes $71,000 a year. And that's without any of the overtime or uh, numerous benefits that they're able to accrue uh, through just usually their course of work. A fifth year constable in the EPS makes a hundred and six thousand dollars a year it it is gobsmacking to and like you you need like you need to be able to see read you need a high school diploma you need to be able to drive you need to be physically fit uh but the bar to like becoming a police officer is not an incredible high one it's it's not like uh becoming a doctor or an engineer it's not years and years of schooling uh and exhaustive testing it's relatively easy to become a cop and these cops get paid an incredible amount of money and the largest kind of line item when it comes to cops i mean we we pay for their helicopters and their guns and their tanks sorry armored vehicles but the biggest line item is always going to be salaries right and you know the city of edmonton is currently in negotiations with the edmonton police association and you know for context uh, the Amalgamated Transit Union, Local 569, the union that represents the people who make our public transit system work, so bus drivers, maintenance people, LRT operators, et cetera, et cetera. They just signed a contract where their members took zeros, 0% increase for two years. Uh I think that same type of discipline should definitely apply to the contract that the city of Edmonton is negotiating with the police, the Edmonton Police Service, right now. <laughs> and I know that the recommendation is is more talking about like gender based analysis and and a few other things, but this is this is something that is doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Is that like governments have real power to determine like w- what is valuable what those people get what those people who do those jobs get paid like i just simply don't believe that a bus driver should get paid half of the salary half the starting salary
2: uh of a police officer
0: (laughs) you know what i mean
2: yeah well and 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 if they they do then maybe they should have a firearm as well right so again it 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 (laughs) guns the comments the conversations around guns the conversation around how to become a commissioner on the EPC is the, the recruitment process is much more thorough than it is to be a, an officer, a constable. And at the end of joining the police commission, you don't even get a gun. You'll, you only, you only get to determine you get to, you only get to hire the chief, right? So um, So I think that's that's a point of contention, and that's a point that came up and and it also came to um, touched on the chief's own comments during the hearings. When, when the, the comment around, um, we we hired a bunch of diverse people in the last three five years. Uh, we have doctors and and LGBTQ two plus and and all these these diverse people, people from the black community and from the indigenous community. And if we if we cut the budget in any way shape or form, those are the first people out. Well, that's because yeah, the the collective bargaining agreement is is last in first out or or last in first out or first in first in last out something like that is is what the chief says um but that that that's a problem because if your your diverse new hires um cannot stay with the organization to change the demographics and the environment then how do you suspect things will change and on top of that we've we've looked at the data the, the the diversity number around uh minority hires is frozen for the last number of years at around 12 percent that tells you that even though you may be hiring more diverse people diverse people are leaving the organization so are you really changing the culture and then on we also looked at um recruitment classes and how i think it was upwards of 700 applications and they hired 675 new recruits or something which is a very high intake for um that tells me you're hiring almost everyone that applies and when you're doing that that means either the there's problems with the collective agreement there's problems with the the application process and the recruitment process and that maybe you're not hiring all the best people and and in preparation. It means, your standards,
0: it means your standards are low if you're your hiring. And
2: it's we often hear uh, bad apples, right, within the organization and things like that. But when you have any any time of the year actively ongoing three hundred uh, complaint investigations, um, that tells me that if you have seventeen hundred officers, a third of your officers are under investigation in some way, shape or form for for complaints. And that tells me it's not just a bad apple, that there's something rotten within the system and that something needs to change. So that's why looking at the collective agreement, getting the mayor and council to to push on some of these things may move things in a positive direction.
0: There's also been some recent studies. uh, uh, Rob Gilzo, economist out of the University of Victoria, I believe, has uh, uh, got some really interesting and uh, scholarship which shows that police unions, the the genesis and the creation and the establishment of police unions, has kind of contributed to like more racism by police because they are kind of essentially protected from any uh, any negative outcomes from their racism. But again, if any if you if you were if it is election season and in, over the next six months, councilors are going to be knocking on your door, seeing you on the street, talking to you, wanting your vote again, a very easy thing you can ask them is uh, make the police take zeros and, and in fact, roll back their wages 5%. They get paid a lot. And if, and if the city of Edmonton is serious about controlling its costs, uh, police salaries and that collective agreement between the police and the city of Edmonton is, is place one to start. If, if transit drivers, if bus drivers taken zeros, police deserve a pay cut. That's what I'm saying. Uh, You know, and again, I think the biggest one, obviously, is the two hundred and sixty million dollars that you would take out of freezing the police budget and putting it into those community services. That is that is the big daddy. Right. But like I think it's worth examining the context of that. Like even if we froze police funding for the next five years, the city of Edmonton, the Edmonton Police Service would still receive three hundred and eighty three million dollars a year like based even if every even if the city of edmonton followed through on this report and did everything you asked which you know god willing the police and the edmonton police service are not in danger of withering away to nothing you know what i mean
1: yeah i mean that's that's again I'll, I'll go back to the tweet uh that was shared by by mike nickel right when you when you start to use alarmist language around you know you know the defunding piece that's that's where this again is political theater right because as you just outlined like you know funds will still be you know established you know for for you know community safety and policing but is being intentional about some of the groups that might not be receptive to uh that funding on a consistent basis you know one example i wanted to share yesterday but just there was no time to do so. You know, they kept talking about you know uh, the the funding formula and you know how it provides consistent funding, and we weren't we weren't you know naive to that. But I think back, you know, I, I did a small project a number of years ago with the uh, with the the uh, previous provincial government uh, closing out their Safer Communities Investment Fund. So this is like you know mid two thousands. And the Safe Communities Investment Fund uh, was three years worth of funding that was available to community organizations. And I think policing also were able to apply to address different forms of community safety uh, in their communities. And because it was provincial, you had programs from like the big municipalities, but also some of the rural areas that oftentimes get overlooked for some of this funding. As we were reviewing the, the projects, every single one of them, regardless of what uh, kind of scope they were looking at, all had a very, very similar trajectory, with, which highlights the importance for sustainable funding, not just from a policing perspective, but also the community perspective. Because a lot of these groups connected to nonprofits, you know, year the three-year funding cycle, year one was scaling up, year two was trying to, you know, uh, establish and do the things they had outlined they would do with the funding. Year three, where they would likely be able to kind of further scale up uh, or evaluate, they were actually scaling down because there was no commitment of funding and they weren't able to secure funding anywhere else. So all these really great initiatives that started out in like a two year time frame, there was a huge exodus of people leaving because they didn't have a job uh, guarantee at the end of their contract. And so they, you know, having families or other considerations, you know, often would leave their their their. You know, grant-funded position six months to a year in advance because there wasn't that continuity of funding in the in the you know nonprofit or non-policing perspective, and so that's where I think there needs to be better awareness, right? You know, we we as a as a, as a whole, ideally everyone would love to have you know consistent you know multi-year funding, and so how can we make that system equitable where you know. Uh, it's not just one organization or one entity that's provided that guarantee, you're providing that equitable access. And so when we talk about inequity in terms of our systems, you know that's just one example that I think was, was, was oftentimes being shared in different stories around the task force, because we are seeing that inconsistency of why does Group A get that multi-year funding, uh, but Group B, who might not have an enforcement aspect, but still has skin in the game for community safety and public safety, doesn't get guaranteed funding so it was that imbalance i think that was really trying to be looked at for you know something along those lines
2: yeah and i think that the um the the overall the overall complexity that existed in that former funding formula that that was talked about at length and and sure it provided predictability but um it was it was a mastercraft of 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 Linking funding to um, not not only inflation but also inflation plus hiring more officers. The way that the the they call it the the police price index was formulated was so that uh, it created a system where and a in a funding formula that the city of empton's own inflation was two percent. The police were able to maneuver it so that their inflation rate was actually five upwards of five percent. Um, And that was by tying it solely to collective agreements and contribution agreements that they would have with hiring officers. So it pretty much guaranteed that um, they would be able to keep hiring more and more cops, which, again, if you're interested in keeping a community safe and keeping all people safe, maybe more cops is not the answer. And that's what uh, the crux of this report also touches on.
1: And there's there's like you know a whole body of literature out there in like police studies that highlights you know more 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 you know boots on the ground you know might give the perception of safety, but does it actually you know impact you know safety in a positive way? And there's so many studies out there that highlights you know more more you know police officers in communities doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be safer. And I hate when I see that kind of you know fallacious argument being utilized. Like even yesterday, you know there was again the challenge of you know, only having a limited amount of time to, to speak but when there's conversations about the good old days of community policing you know there's there's reports the Edmonton Police Service have produced themselves in the mid-1990s that highlighted how some of that beat patrol aspects uh, weren't as effective as they thought they would be which is why they moved to a geographic model of policing that was the foundation for their hotspot and intelligence analysis kind of programming. And so I think, again, it's that disconnect, right? And this is where it gets a little bit frustrating from a citizen's perspective, is you you hope that people who put themselves out there to be in leadership positions uh, can be as informed uh, as much as possible. And I know that's impossible to do because there's so much they're expected to know. But I think when you see some of those questions or assumptions being, you know, just Thrown out there with not a proper context and not a proper opportunity to challenge, that's where you get these assumptions and biases seep in around. Well, now and again, looking at the Twitter chatter, you know, now people are saying, you know, because we're not going to be funding the police, crime rates are all of a sudden going to (laughs) skyrocket.
0: Oh man, I wish we weren't going to start funding the police. Okay, so I I think you you're making excellent points, right? More cops are never the answer. And Rob, I think you're getting into the weeds on a on a fascinating little bit of of council. Uh, bullshit in arcana which is that like don Iveson essentially as mayor uh, and a couple councils ago had negotiated this like funding formula for police which was quote unquote to depoliticize the funding of police which is like it's a political decision like get over it boys uh but but essentially had locked in massive year-over-year increases regardless of of anything the police could literally like like start murdering people on the streets There'd be no consequences to their budget based on this agreement that the um that the city of Edmonton uh, counts that that the sorry city council at Edmonton had kind of uh, negotiated with themselves to just consistently give the city of uh, the Edmonton Police Service budget increases over year. But yes, more cops are never the answer. And I think I think the last recommendation that is worth talking about before we get into a couple other things is you know recommendation to you know expand the number and use of crisis diversion and alternative policing teams. And you know this we have started down the path of like, you know, call two one one. you know, uh, crisis diversion teams are good. You know, we have, but the, it's a patchwork of organizations, right? It's like reach Edmonton, which again is the cops is, is essentially run by the cops, which I'm not a big fan of Boyle street, Canadian mental health association, hope mission. It's, it's a mishmash of kind of like public, private nonprofit agencies. There's really no one body kind of seizing this service and it, and it needs to be, uh much more clear about who are these workers like how does crisis diversion work what what are the framework that they work under how do they work with cops if they work at cop with cops at all it is um th- we essentially need to like supercharge this conversation around like how do we get people who need help help that is not the cops and uh, you know, this This report is very clear, makes a very clear case about why that needs to happen. And uh, I, I think it's a question, you know, the broader community needs to focus in and on as well.
2: Yeah, and and even if um, we heard about how there's fantastic work happening downtown with crisis diversion and people are using it and they're getting uh, amounts of a number of calls and, the, and we learned that more calls could even be diverted to them. Um, but if they, and the, of course, they'll need more resources to answer more calls. Um, but we still, in, in Edmonton at least, have this issue of after you do some crisis diversion, where do people go? You you have nowhere to take them because you're taking them to a shelter or you're taking them to um, uh, Boyle Street or somewhere like that, where we have heard, and it's been in the media numerous times, about how some of these places um, are not very nice to Specifically, Indigenous people, but other people, it can lead to re-traumatization. It can lead to just poor living conditions in some of these institutions, with a uh, mat on a on a floor and things like that. And I think Councillor Walters said before, it's like a hoagie and Jesus in the morning, or something to that effect. And that's what what we're re-traumatizing and re-institutionalizing our own most vulnerable people to. Um, where do they go after they get diverted from from a being arrested and things like that. And and why don't we, and I know uh, we we kind of laughed about it after after the meeting or during during the meeting maybe even, but when I made the comment of like BS bullshit bylaws that targeting, that we know target our most vulnerable people and put them into a system and fine them with fines they're never gonna pay with the, maybe the end result being jail and things like that. Like that is not acceptable. There are real world examples of municipalities and counties that have made some of those bylaws um, specifically diversion. So instead of getting a fine, you go into uh, a diversion program, either community service or 24-7 crisis diversion, something like that, that that helps people maybe maintain a little bit more humanity and maybe puts them on a better path than just sending them to the mustard seed or somewhere like that where they'll just go back into the cycle the next day.
0: Yeah, crisis diversion from, from what are you diverting them to? Are you diverting them into a home? or Are you just diverting them into the 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 next shelter, the next camp? Like, yeah, exactly.
2: Just, cool. You're just diverting them into another crisis, and and it and right now that's what the system in Edmonton is set up to be. And um, I think there needs to be a lot of a lot of attention paid to that. And if you if people read the report, it again speaks to within existing budgets. There there is an emphasis that. Um, there should be no wiggle room whatsoever for police to advocate for more funding to do more of this because we've seen how they can move around money within their own coffers to meet some of the other things that they want to do. Um, so, again, emphasis on within existing budgets, boost crisis diversion within, within existing budgets, not more money.
0: Yeah, and I, I know, I know we, I know our friend's got to go. He's got actual job with actual commitments. Uh, so, so I do wanna, I do wanna quickly touch on a few things. So p- the police reaction, um, you know. Edmonton Police Service put out a press release after the report was released saying that they were disappointed that your report focused almost exclusively on policing and enforcement, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, You know, they had, quote unquote, significant concerns about the accuracy of the report. Many recommendations are not evidence based or founded in research, blah, blah, blah. Uh, When we followed up with the Edmonton Police Service about what specific, specific concerns they had or any examples of anything that was inaccurate or incorrect or not evidence based, their reply was, the EPS will work directly with city administration and the police commission on the response to the task force report to respect the process that has been set up by yesterday's city council motion. the EPS will present its analysis and feedback to city administration in the near future. Uh, I, I know you wanted to take a minute to talk about the police response or fan. Uh, what, what do you, what do you got?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the, I have a lot to say and I, I'm going to have to be mindful of how I say it, but I think at the end of the day, you know what? What a what a load of of, of shit, if I put it politely, uh, because you know you have you have you know when you when you're starting to claim that a report that's produced uh, lacks evidence when the chair holds uh, a freaking PhD when the you know I'd say two. Two other members uh, also have a doctorate, uh, or, or I think one completed their doctorate. One is in the pursuit of their doctorate, who also happens to be a police representation, a representative on the task force. Uh, and then you have someone like me who's a PhD dropout, but still kind of utilizing evidence base in everything that we do. I think that really did uh, hurt the task force a little bit in terms of, you know, without, you know, going back to something we talked about earlier without you know giving a sense of even if this report was read with any great detail was this a response that was planned regardless of what report came out right because i think at the end of the day i want to be i want to be super mindful that you know we had you know three police entities on the task force you know one from the commission two from the admitted police service and i think it was helpful in the sense of having them there to just you know i Uh, get a better understanding of some of the the nuances around policing uh, that some of the other members may not have been familiar with. But I think at times, and this is why we were really, you know, super focused on policing and law enforcement Is because when you're tasking a task force that's, you know, the size of ours to produce the report in less than, you know, six months, we have to be laser focused. We have to be because if we're trying to look at the whole community safety ecosystem in the span of six months, we're not going to give you anything useful or relevant. And everyone around the table then would have felt like they wasted their time and no one wanted to feel like they're wasting their time because of how important this work was. And so I think when it's so quickly, you know, you know, using probably a policing analogy, when their shotgun response is to just debunk it right away, it really felt like, you know, you're a kid on a playground and the person takes their ball home because they didn't like, you know, how you were you're playing or however analogy you want to use. And I think that's damaged a lot in terms of, you know, uh, some of the the good work that was built around even building trust, even in that small court of 16 people. The fact that you have, you know, police bring out a statement like that. And, you know, I know there's some circulation on social media that at our last meeting, you know, did the police even attend their the meeting? They did not. That in that combination of things really has, I think, damaged some of the good work that those those uh, two individuals on the task force I think were were able to do at least build some bridges uh, in that capacity. So when you, I think, this to me is that big disconnect. You have you know their commitment to action. You have all these things they're talking about being more equitable, diverse, and inclusive. And the second you have lived experiences, I think this is what hurt people the most on the task force when they said it was not evidence based. It totally downplayed the lived experience of people on the task force, people who have experienced homelessness, people who have experienced poverty, people who have experienced racial discrimination in the city of Edmonton. And you're telling them that the report that they put their heart and soul into and tears is not relevant. I think that's the message that really needs to be shared in terms of the impact of a message like that.
2: And and I'll just add that uh, much to Irfan's point and statement that that belief and the statement is just complete bullshit because um, the report was informed by their data, um, by data that the chief has used at City Council. Um, we asked, uh, and I'm I'm happy that it's getting released in the next couple of weeks. But there is an in private report that the that we hear about this 7.5 billion dollar number that's been passed around, especially by Chief McPhee for, oh, there's just a lack of coordination, and if we coordinate all this money, we'll solve the problem. Uh, We got a presentation from the group that put together that report, and again, that number is complete bullshit, because um, I'm sure the number exists within the ecosystem, but the review that they were asked to do is everything, and I'm talking about post-secondary schools, I'm talking about um, pharmacies, I'm talking about payments and all those that all all those things add into this 7.5 billion dollars and I don't think as a citizen and as a task force member I have the right to determine how people spend their age payments or the disability payments I don't I don't think the police have that right either so to purport that 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 money needs to be coordinated better to have better outcomes for our most vulnerable is just a complete misdirection. And an invalidation of of the good work that is happening, and um, the data was informed by their own their own data set. So, um, if there's anything that if if our report is inaccurate and not based on evidence, then nothing that they do and none of the data that they use is either. So,
0: exactly. And and hanging over all of this is you know okay, the report has been submitted. We're going to hear back in ninety days. But the big thing—the 260 million dollars from freezing the EPS budget and, and investing that back in the community—which again, 13,000 people sent an email to their councillor saying, pretty much that they wanted exactly this. Um, you know, this upcoming election at the municipal level provides you with an opportunity to talk to your candidate in your area and and ask them specifically, will you freeze EPS funding and divert that money into this uh, community safety fund? Because if they don't, if they won't say yes to that, don't vote for them, don't donate to them, and tell your friends and family and colleagues to not vote for them too. And I, I think if, if, uh, if you could walk away from this with anything, which is, is that, you know, municipal politics, one of the big things, actually one of the biggest things, the biggest thing that they are responsible for is the police budget. And for so far, far too long, it has not been a political issue. It has not been anything that anyone has ever had to answer questions on or be accountable to people on or really face any scrutiny over whether they supported, you know, a year over a year, three and a half percent increase for the police budget, no questions asked. Don I wasn't just did that and no one gave a shit. And and so I, I think we have to resolve to just not let not do that anymore and that the budget process, the municipal budget process is long and shitty and tendentious and boring as it is. The only thing that really fucking matters out of that is the police budget and freezing or dropping that police budget year over year over year until we actually get a community that's able to keep itself safe. Because right now, police are not keeping it are not are not keeping us safe. And I think that makes the, the report makes that very clear as well. So those are my final thoughts uh, on the on what's next. Robert, if you have the floor, uh, you want to riff on the election or what people should take away from the report, this is, a, this is it. Your final closing thoughts.
1: Yeah, I'll just go real quick. You know, again, at the end of the day, just the bare minimum anyone can do is just read the report, you know, make your own conclusions based on your own perspectives. Like that's your, your right to do so. But at bare minimum, you know, you read the report before making any kind of, you know, statements or, or decisions um, on this topic.
0: And you got to go, our fan, right? You're not going to hang around to the, the no. Very I got
1: I got I I got another thing in uh, two minutes here, so I have to, I have to log off. So thanks for the opportunity.
2: No worries. Thanks, our fan. See you later, Rob. See you, Rob. Bye. I think, um yeah, like our fan said, just take the time to read the report. Um, I, I really, in some of my conversations out there with other leaders, challenged them to people in the community. If, if the report is offside and it doesn't hit the right points, then then hold us accountable. Again, we were we were trying uh, to do the best that we could with what we were kind of given, and and knowing that we had kind of serving members and and members of the EPC on the task force, it, it was going to be a little bit of a tougher slog. So I think read it, have feedback, and really hold council and uh, the Edmonton Police Commission's feet to the fire as as this ninety day. Um, date comes up and the reporting happens as we get closer to the end of this year into the the election cycle, um, try to hold people accountable. If they're, if they're missing the mark as well, and if you're not happy with uh, how they're carrying out the recommendations, then then feel free to push council, speak at council, do whatever you can to start things moving in the right direction so that uh, Edmonton is safer for all. And, and it's not that Edmonton, And the the report makes a point that it's not that Edmonton isn't safe, it's just not safe for certain demographics within our society. And if we can't wrap our head around that, um, then things like reconciliation and racial relations and things like that will never take place. So um, we just want to make a city that's safe for everybody so that, and, and there was a video that was put out so that. People like myself and like fan and, and other uh, people of color and minorities can walk the street without having to be hassled because of our skin color. Because there was a crime 30 blocks away and now I need to check your ID because you're, you're brown or black or, or whatever. And that is what policing is like now. And that's what it'll continue to be if we don't make any changes
0: yeah, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. Uh, again, we'll, we will have the link to the report in our show notes and um, you know, I took the time to read it. it's it's very digestible. The report, again, entirely reasonable. things that should have been done 20 years ago, the best time to start doing them is is now. <laughs> if we didn't do them 20 years ago. Uh, I think that's where we got to leave it, Rob. So what's a what's the the best way for people to follow along that now is the time to plug your pluggables, any websites, social media accounts that people should should be following?
2: Um, I think I, some of my articles on Edmonton City as a museum, have been getting some hits lately. I'm on Twitter at DHLRob. Um I'm just at about uh, 1,000 followers. So um, hop on Twitter and give me a follow. And, and I look forward to having more conversations like this and being active in any way that I can moving forward. Yeah, Rob's a very good follow on Twitter. If you're not following him, give him a follow. And uh, And
0: folks, if you like this podcast, you want to keep hearing... More podcasts like this. Uh, please tell your friends. Please share, you know, text it to them. Share it on your social media channels. Word of mouth is the best way to get it out. Uh, another quick thing you can do is you can leave us a, a five star review on Apple Podcasts. That really actually does help uh, people find the podcast, and uh, and the algorithm really really likes reviews. Also, if you like this podcast as well as the other work that we do at Progress Alberta. We would really like it if you could join the 450 other some folks who help keep this little independent media project going. Uh, to do that, you can just go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, or there's a link in the show notes as well, and you just put in your credit card, you know, 5 know, $10, $15 a month, whatever you can afford. We would really appreciate it. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I screwed up on or things you think I need to hear about, I am very easy to reach. You can reach me on Twitter at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at duncank@progressalberta.ca. at Thanks uh, to Rob Hool and Urfan for coming on the pod. Thanks so much to Cosmic Famu Communist for the theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.